everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. You can't make a diamond without some pressure. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and uh, what are you What are you drinking? Good. Uh, I'm, I'm excellent. I'm drinking yeah. a, a single cut, which is about as hoppy as I'll go. Uh, it is really hoppy. What um, is a single cut? Is it an IPA? Yeah, it's the IPA 18 watt. Um, Who makes it? Single cut? Watt. Oh, no. Beersmiths. So. Beersmith. 18 watt? Yeah, it's the name make, of it. No. Oh, it's the name of it. All right. Yeah. Fine. yeah. And uh, I'm just sweating because I'm shrink wrapped in my office. First of all, why you're in New York. Isn't it like a fucking like zero degrees there? Oh, dude, it's beautiful today. I had the window open. Really? The birds came out. People are yelling at cars. But, you know. <laughs> all right. We just had a bomb cyclone. So we just got like a massive snowstorm that apparently like shut down the entire state, except for where I live. We didn't get anything, but the whole state's in like peril right now. Oh my god! So so you still had to go to school then, right? Yeah, I still had to you, go to you school. You didn't get a snow day? No, I didn't get a snow day. Oh man, so that's what sucks when you work from home. Um, I'm drinking a something called Technicolor Splendor from Tired Hands in PA. It is a Simcoe Spelt Double IPA at 10 a.m. So. Mm. Fucking time zones, man. <laughs> That's how you do it. All right. Well, our catchphrase today is from Stephen Stanwood. Thanks, Stephen. Great name. That's our middle names, by the way. Mm. Uh, today, we're talking about mastering money with psychology, and we have a guest, and his name is Ramit Seti. And I said that correctly. Is that right, Ramit? Uh, you got the first part right. The second part was a good 90%. I'll give you that. What, how do how would you how do you say your last name? It's uh, Ramit Sati, like say the letter Sati. Sati, got it. Well, Ramit, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, I just want to say uh, to start this off that your book, "I Will Teach You to Be Rich," was the second personal finance book I read. So I read uh, "The Simple Dollar" first. Meh, it's fine. Uh, and then I read <laughs> "I Will Teach You to Be Rich." Uh, from a recommendation from somebody, somebody was like, ignore the title. If you think if you think the title is like, you know, a little questionable, ignore it because the book is fucking fantastic. And I read it and it literally, it brought me here. It's, it's where I am today. It's why I'm doing a personal finance show. I was shitty with my money and now I'm not shitty with my money 10 years later. So I just wanted to say thank you for that because that, that book fucking changed my life to be quite frank. Thank you so much for saying that. I mean, that is, um, that's, that right there is the reason why I started doing this. Uh, and I started trying to teach personal finance around 2002. And my friends in mm -hmm. college, nobody wants to go to an event about money. Usually it makes people feel bad about themselves. And I just felt mm -hmm. like I had something the world needed to hear. And I think looking back, I was a bit of a cocky college kid, but you know, I love psychology. I love systems. I love automation. I don't believe that anybody should have to cut back on lattes. So if that's what you think, I'm going to come on the show and tell you, <laughs> you got a new thing coming. And I think that you should actually be able to spend extravagantly on the things you love, as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. So hopefully we can talk about all that. But thank you for saying that. I still, yeah. 10 years later, it still uh, feels so good to hear something like that. And you know what? It's like the, the, the latte part of the book is, and it was the woman with the shoes. Yeah. Who was like, I like buying shoes and shit, like a lot of shoes. And I was like, oh, I like buying, I like buying things too. And it and it and it wasn't about like I'm not a budgeter. I don't budget. 
uh, I kind of like actively rail against it because I like the things that I like. I like paying $18 for a four pack of a double IPA, which is insane. Um, but it's my, it's my hobby. And, and on top of that, uh, the automation piece of your book is, was literally the, like, like the game changer for me because it, I suck at money and continue to suck at money, but computers don't suck at money. And if you set them up, they just do the job for you. It's like, you know, yeah, that just, that was just, just changed my life. But the book has been out for 10 years now, right? Yeah. It's coming up on its 10 year edition is coming out. We got a new 10 year anniversary update and uh, the publishers. So Mm -hmm. once the book came out, the day it came out, it went to number one on all of Amazon. And I did, I actually, to tell you the truth, did not think it would hit number one. I thought maybe top hundred, but it did well. It sold out on Amazon that day. And of course, my publisher kept mm-hmm. calling, like, let's do another book. Let's do this. Let's do that. But then I, you know, I have a business and I grow this business and we have employees yeah. and we have like 35,000 customers. And after a while, I said, guys, I'm not going to write another book for a while. I got a business to run. So eight years goes by and, you know, they've called occasionally. And mm-hmm. so finally, they're like, look, 10 years is coming up. We got to update this book. Um, you got to add new stuff. I know you've gotten married, this and that. So I finally said, all right, let's do it. So anyway, the new book's coming out. I got a lot of new stuff in there. Everything from new tools. You know, people want to know what are the new tools? What are the new accounts that I use? And I have changed some of them. You know, what is the psychology of money? I, I've, uh, 98% mm-hmm. of the material in the, in the old book remains true. And I'm really proud of that because this is timeless material. But there are some new tools, there are some new accounts, and there's some new perspectives on money that I've gained as my financial life has changed. And I want to talk about that in the book. You know, that book came out right as the recession hit. Okay. You want to, you want to know something crazy? I do. That, Listen that's all this. I want to the know. Book came, <laughs> the book came out in March 2009. Yeah. Guess what March 2009 happened to be? <sighs> St. Patrick's Day. I don't know. It was the bottom of the recession, Ah. the absolute bottom. So think about this. If you bought that book in March of 2009 and you simply followed the steps, even with an average income, you are doing extraordinarily well. And for my readers who tend to be slightly above average, Mm -hmm. or in some cases, well above average, with the exception of a few degenerates who bring the average down, (laughs) they are absolutely crushing it. So for people, I tell them, you know, it's so funny. I have a rule called Ramit's book buying rule. And the Mm -hmm. rule is if you ever think about buying a book, just buy it. Don't even deliberate for five seconds. Because think about this. If you conservatively follow the stuff in this book, you make at least half a million dollars over the course of your lifetime. And that's if you can read English. If you can do more and you can accelerate your growth, the the material in this book or many other books is worth incalculable amounts. So it drives me nuts when people deliberate $5, $10 over a book. Just buy it. And read it. Yeah. And if you apply one thing, your life will change. That's a good way to live life, in my opinion. What has changed, though? So, like, we're, you know, you that book came out at the bottom of the recession, and arguably we're at the top of the market right now. So you have this book that's coming out. You had a book that came out at the bottom, and you're having a book that come out that's coming out at the top. What what is this book going to be? Is this book going to be different with that mindset or with that the beautiful timing? thing? The beautiful thing about the material and I will teach you to be rich, is that it doesn't matter if it's the bottom or the top. And I'm glad to be able to prove it in both situations. It's like a runner who can run in high elevation or low. It doesn't matter. They have their technique down. Mm-hmm. Material on investing for the long term doesn't change whether it's low or high. 
Material on automating your savings does not change. Material on what tools to use and how to think about money and how to stop being cheap, that doesn't change. Okay, so all this stuff is timeless. And I actually find that really comforting that I don't have to uh, figure out the whims of the market. You don't. I don't care what the market is doing today, tomorrow, or next year. I just keep investing regularly. And that's what your automation system that you use from the book does for you as well. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned being cheap. What do you mean? Because, uh, look, I got a friend in town. He makes me this, fucking angry wait, of his cheapness. Okay. It, this friend isn't like a friend in quotes, right? You're talking about a real friend? I'm talking about a real person. Okay. And I hope he's not listening. But So what does he, he do? Let, let's just get into it. What does he do? What does he do? Uh, well, for example, I'm he's starting a new podcast and I'm trying to get him to, you know, buy, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Podcast hosting stuff. And he's just like, oh, my God, it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about $19 a month, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, all right, fine. And he and I live in Boulder. Shit here is expensive. And I just get text message from him. I'm like, oh my God, this house is blah, blah, blah. And this <laughs> and this coffee is blah, blah, blah. It's so expensive. I'm like, go home, man. Yeah. Like, you know, like, w- w- it's just, I don't know. And I've had friends back in back, you know, back in, in Jersey uh, who were equally as cheap and and more. And even when we were kids and shit, like they wouldn't go out to dinner because it cost too much money. And I'm like, well, you only live once. How do you, de- I mean, I don't know how to deal with the, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't have a question. I'm just angry. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. I mean, this is a great demonstration of how cheap people affect the people around them, right? So there's conscious spenders, which I talk about in the book. And like, you like to buy really nice beer. Yeah. Awesome. And I encourage it. Like there are other people in my community who like to buy thousand dollar coats and I encourage it. I say, if you want to buy that, I'll show you how to do it right? Mm. And other people like to buy a really nice car or live in a penthouse apartment. Also fine. I had I have one of my readers who's in the front of the book. He told me that he and his wife retired at age 35 and 36, and they drive around America in an RV. Now, that is not my vision of a rich life. I, don't, I live in Manhattan. I don't want to drive around in an RV, but I really respect and love that he picked his vision and he went all in for it. I think the difference is that cheap people affect the people around them. And every single one of us listening knows a friend, you know, you go, you, you go out to eat, you both order an entree, you split an appetizer and their entree was, uh, you know, $18, they throw in 10 or they throw in 20. And it's like, man, come on. Like, aren't we past college? Do we have to have this conversation again? (laughs) And, And similarly with your friend who's doing a podcast, that person is very focused on the cost, $19. But I guarantee you that there's one thing in his or her life that they are happily spend money on. Maybe it's sure. um, taking their kids to you know an, an opportunity, a museum. I think that uh, what I really emphasize for people is you should know your costs and you should make sure that you're not overspending. That's a given. The system yep. actually does that for you, right? You shouldn't have to be sitting there debating, oh my God, can I buy this premium six seed bread at the grocery store? If you're at that level, you've made a mistake way back in your system. Uh, Hmm. By the time your money flows through the system and I will teach, you have guilt-free money. And now that guilt-free money, you can use it on whatever you want. This person you're talking about, he's so focused on cost, he's forgetting about value. He's focused on $19 and he's forgetting he could have an amazing podcast like you guys. But instead he's sitting here counting pennies and you're never going to live your rich life if that's all you do. So I super resonate with that. But when I look at people who 
tend to be cheap. I see it as like a very extreme stance. You know, they, you know, and obviously like the most extreme is like splitting, you know, two ply toilet paper in half. But um, on the other end, you know, and maybe they're listening like, you know what? Well, I don't want to be cheap. And often social situations can encourage you to spend where it wouldn't even resonate with your core beliefs. Like you may not be someone who likes to go out to dinner and then you're like, well, my friends want me to go and they already think I'm cheap. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go. I'm just, you know, subsidize their meal because I don't drink or something. How do you uh, not be cheap, stay within like your lane um, and, and not like other, not let others kind of move you? Okay. So what mm -hmm. I hear there, and I see this with many, many of my readers um, and my, you know, I've got a million readers a month. It's a fear of taking control of their own decisions. Let me tell you what I mean. You do not want to be the person who says, look, I can't actually afford going to dinner, but my friends think I'm cheap. So I'm going to go to dinner. I'm going to be sitting there nervous all day long. Oh my God, did someone order an extra vodka tonic? And then you feel super resentful. And then you just like, you, you leave after paying the check and you just feel super resentful. It's the worst of all worlds. You didn't enjoy it. Your friends still think you're cheap because they could see that energy and they could see your body language. And then you go home and you hate your friends. So everybody hates everybody. The only good thing is we just got a great story out of it. Okay, so that's good. All the rest sucks. Instead, what if this person said, hey guys, like I'd love to hang out. Like I'm cutting back a bit on going out, but I happen to know there's this cool show that's coming out like next door. Would you guys be down to see that? And let me just give you a perfect example from my own life because this happened last weekend. I posted this on my Instagram account. So we had some friends and we wanted to hang out. We wanted to see them. But we're sort of over going out to dinner in New York. We're just like, we, we don't... How yeah, do you well, get over been, that? <laughs> because dude, you live here for 10 years. You've, you're like, all right, I'm like kind of bored with eating out. And we want to watch what we eat. And mm. we don't really enjoy just sitting at a table and talking like there's so many more cool things to do in this city. So we're like, okay. So our friends are like, let's go out to dinner. And we said, Hey, would you guys be down to come to a Greek food tour in Astoria? And like, to me, that's awesome. You get to eat, but you get to hang with your friends and you're doing something tactile. Now for me, price wasn't the primary driver, but look at what happened there. We, the key value is that we want to hang out with our friends. Mm -hmm. The difference is that we might not want to do that one thing. So we were assertive enough to say, mm -hmm. hey, we love to hang out, but what do you guys think about this? I guarantee you that cheap people never have that conversation. Instead, they either go and they resent it yeah. or they don't go, thus cementing their reputation as being cheap. They're letting the world control them instead of influencing the world. And I would encourage people, it's not really about how much money you have. You be, you, if you're cheap when you make 25 grand, you're going to be cheap when you make 150 grand. Sure. Okay, it's not that, it's your psychology. And you talk about that, you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you talk about this in the upcoming book, more of the psychology, which I don't believe you talked about in the original book, because that's, <laughs> right? I Me mean, a little that, bit. That's right. Yeah, yeah. so the, the whole, okay, so the original first version of the book is a psychology book disguised as a personal finance right. book. But the second version, I make it much more explicit. So I'll give you an example. Uh, so I studied psychology undergrad and in grad school, and I learned how to move people and how persuasion works and how ethics work and all these things. And for me, one of the best ways to use that material in a really positive way was to help people with their money because everyone's got money and everyone doesn't really know how to use money. Right. Okay. 
Um, once you crack the money code, then you start to see that, oh my God, those same people are like, oh, I can apply that to fitness and relationships, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. In the first book, if you look at virtually any personal finance book, guess what the first chapter tells you to do? What does that first chapter in every money book tell you to do? Pay off your debt. Yeah. What do you think? Budget. Uh, yeah. Doing it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, totally. They, they go like this. They go, all right. Hey, person who definitely doesn't know what they're doing with money for the last 30 years. Why don't you open up your spreadsheet, which PS, <laughs> we know you don't have. And nope. tell us what you spent in the last three months, which PS is just going to make you feel horrible. And you know what people do? They go, no, thanks. Fuck put this. the book back on the <laughs> shelf. I'm out of here. So with I Will Teach, it's totally different, right? It starts with credit cards. And this is exactly how many people ended up coming in my community. They, hmm. they re Everyone's got a credit card. Everyone hates their credit card. So I showed them, this is how you beat your credit card. This is how you squeeze these crazy benefits out of it that nobody even knows these credit cards offer, like getting a free laptop. And then if you ever get a late fee, literally read the words on this page and you will get that fee waived. People do it. It's only 35 bucks. But for the first time in their lives, people are like, oh my God, I can have control over my financial life. And now they're mm. students for life. That was my dream. Hmm. That is, that's interesting because I, I've mastered credit cards, right? I feel like I've, I took, I, I was shitty with them, right? Had super high interest credit card. I mean, they're, they're high interest now because I have premium ones, but they were super high interest and I wasn't paying them off every month. And then I think it was, I had to be your book because it's a, really the only personal finance book that kind of turned it for me, but it was, oh, I'm going to take advantage of them right? Take advantage of the credit card people by taking their fucking points and hoarding them and, and, and just paying off my credit cards on time and becoming a literal deadbeat in their eyes, right? That's the person who doesn't pay them interest. And that, yeah, was super empowering. It was actually the first thing I did was, was, was pay off credit card debt and then basically not stop using credit cards. Like, oh, once you pay off your credit card debt, cut them all up, never use them again. They're evil. It's like, no, there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of value. You can, I mean, I've, I haven't paid for a plane ticket in four years yeah. now. Fantastic. So it's, and it's all because it's a, of just mastering. That's that. fantastic. And I love the confidence that I hear in your voice because instead of this knee jerk fear of like, they're going to get me, therefore I better not use it at all, which I find very childlike. Mm -hmm. Like, like one way to raise a child is to say, oh, strangers are bad. Don't talk to any strangers. Very sort of. Right. Yeah. Stranger or danger. Let's let's try to talk about who might be someone if you're in trouble, who would you go ask? Oh, a uniformed police officer, etc. Like, let's get into the nuances. I believe people are smart enough to do that. So, with credit cards, I treat them like a pro. I show you how, exactly how do they try to screw you? Who are the worst offenders? I name names. And you know nobody nobody else will name names. Why? Because most people want to cut a deal with a bank or a credit card. I have zero interest. Yeah, yeah they want like, that I'm like, dude, income. I'm going to tell you exactly who I use. I tell you the accounts I set up. I'll tell you the banks that you should never use. By the way, these banks do not like me for naming them, but I name names. And, um, and I tell you exactly what are the right investment, all the stuff that I do in my own accounts. I live what I talk about in the system. So you can go from a place of fear and, and ignoring these companies to actually saying, you know what? I know the game they're playing and I know how to one up them. And it's actually not that hard. You can do it in about six weeks.
So that's the whole point of the book. It's like, you can actually be really smart at personal finance. You don't have to be like a CFP, but you can beat these companies that are trying to take all mom and pop's money. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I want to talk more about this, but we need to take a break real quick um, and you know, get to our sponsors and we'll be right back. And we're back. All right. So who do I mean, like, what do you, what do you like? I mean, you said Vanguard for yeah. sure. And I know there's a lot of people out there right now. I mean, even when I asked this on Twitter, they're like, well, what do you, what do you use? Yeah. I'll tell you what like, I what's, use. What's Ramit like? Uh, what's Ramit like? Let's start with his financial accounts. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's go through his PNL. Uh, okay. So I, I really love Vanguard. Uh, I can't say enough good mm. things about them. They are they they treat their members in a great way. Um, I mm -hmm. love Schwab. I use Schwab for the um, investor checking account. I think they're phenomenal. I think yeah. if you have a checking account and you're worried about your ATM card charging you for using it at a different place, you should just stop worrying. You're about 10 years behind. That Schwab account refunds all your fees. It's awesome. It's great. Use it. I mm. use it. And by the way, these are companies that not only have good products and services, but they've kept them consistently good, right? It's one thing to have a teaser yeah. rate and then screw customers. I don't recommend those places. I want places that over the long term are just good and trusted. Yeah. And they have killer affiliate programs. Guys, let me tell <laughs> no. you. No. I'm not making a cent off these recommendations. They don't, actually. So like, and <laughs> no, I really I don't care. Yeah, my, don't have... my revenue stream, especially when I go on podcasts, look, if you don't like me, that's okay too. But if my hope is that you're like, oh, I kind of like what this guy has to say. He's got some interesting perspectives on spending extravagantly. You come to IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. Yeah. You sign up. The only way I make money is if people love what I have to say and they join one of our courses. Yeah, and you also uh, – I know that there's some courses that you have where if people have debt, you won't sell it to them. Correct. Which I found novel. Correct. That costs us millions of dollars per year. So I have a policy um, <laughs> based on a lot of my learnings from from like – when you learn persuasion, it can be a very powerful tool, right? And I've chosen, yeah. I could have used it for a lot of things. I've chosen to use it to help people live a rich life. That's with money. That's with their careers, salary negotiation, all that stuff. If everybody knew what I knew about interest rates and how debt compounds, they would not join, say, a $2,000 course. So I tell people openly, if you're considering joining one of our flagship programs, those are like the big ones. That's like $1,000 plus. Do not join if you have credit card debt. And actually, if you join with mm -hmm. credit card debt and we find out, we will not only refund you, we will ban you for life. So people take it really seriously. And we have a huge, <laughs> we call it DNS, do not sell. That means you're banned. And um, <laughs> so we don't want those people. We want them to use the free material, pay off their debt, and come back because we will be here. We've been here for over 15 years. We'll be here for 15 more. So- before the break, you're talking about, you know, trust and, and stuff like that. And uh, when I was like reading things about you, I found that you studied a lot on like lying and deception. Why? Like what what use is that just to point out when people lie to you? Yeah. Is your name really Ramit? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took a class. So undergrad, I studied a major called STS, Science, Technology and Society. And it was basically how technology and psychology interact and how they influence each other. And I found it amazingly uh, just insightful. Like we studied persuasive technology, how computers persuade you. And for anyone thinking like, oh, I'm not persuadable, just think about the last Netflix episode you watched. Think about the last roll of paper towels you bought. Like these things are mediated by society and technology. 
And rather, again, rather than that childlike influence of, uh, let me deny it, let's just accept it and figure out how the game works and then we can win. So one of the classes that I made it a point to take was a class on lying and deception. This was at Stanford. And uh, man, it was, it was such a cool class. So the reason I joined this class was I want to know all different parts of human psychology. I want to know what leads us to be successful, what leads us to fail, what leads us to say we want something and then to not actually do it. That happens all the time, right? With fitness or money or whatever. Mm. Like we could go ask your listeners yeah. right now, um, do you want to be a millionaire? How many will say yes? 99%. And then I'll say, okay, let me see your calendar and let me see your spending from the last month. And likely that very little of what they do on a day-to-day basis is actually leading them towards it. Same with like, I want a six pack right. or I want whatever. So, and it could be a six pack of beer, could be an actual six pack. Uh, dude, I was going to make the joke, but I, 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 <laughs> okay. I held back. So, so Damn. I'll tell you what happened in this class. Um, first of all, one of the professors was uh, Percy Diaconis, who's like this crazy magician slash mathematician. And we had a couple of other professors and the places that we see lies, it's sort of obvious, the, the surface level ones, politics, uh, online, if people are talking yep. about making money or fitness, there you go. Clairvoyance. Um, so there's a lot of obvious lines, but there's a lot more subtle line. There's lying to ourselves. Like, I can't do that. I can't make a million dollars. I can't save 20% of my income. Really? Is that true or is that just a story you're telling yourself? Yeah, yeah. And so what I wanted to do with writing this book and, and on my website was to show people that we have three types of stories. We have the stories that we are told, we have the stories we believe, and we have the stories that we can change. And many of us grow up hearing stories like, we can't afford that. We don't talk about money in this family. Uh, you know, yeah. and, uh, that's what rich people do, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Many of us absorb that. And I guarantee you, people listening here have used, I don't have time and I don't have money as an excuse. Now, it might actually be true. If I said, let's go on a 10-day trip yeah. to some exotic island, they might legitimately say, I don't have time or money. Fair. But it's also politically correct to say that because no one's going to be like, hey, man, I think you're actually just like not prioritizing it. And I think you actually do have time, but you watch a lot of Netflix. Like that's not really politically correct to say. So I actually love when I have the opportunity, when someone comes and says, you know, they're on my email list and they reply and they say like, Hey, this sounds really good, but like, uh, why don't you just give it all away for free? And I actually get a chance to engage. I read every email and I write back to a lot of them and I say, and we, we go through mm -hmm. it. I say, look, if you want it for free, have you used any of my other free material? Right there, 50% of them disappear. They never write back. Right. But the, what I want to do with I Will Teach, whether it be my book or my site, is to show people that so many of the lies we focus on are politics and all these macro level things. But the most insidious lies are the ones we tell ourselves. If you want to buy a $2,000 coat, you can buy a $2,000 coat. I can show you how. If you want to send your kids to private school, or frankly, you want to give away $25,000 to charity, you can do all those things. But you need to get honest with yourself about what you really want, and then you need to change your spending and your time to reflect it. So I, I've listened to a lot of things that you've said around you know, salary negotiation, or essentially achieving a lot of the things that you discuss. And um, in like reflecting back, uh, I think a lot of these 
things that you suggest that they're very confidence driven things mm. and you clearly have a lot of confidence. So for you, and I know you don't have a boss, but if you were working for someone, you had a boss, I could imagine you literally going up to them and asking for more money because that is your personality type and you are confident. But there are a lot of people who aren't there yet. And there's the obviously the obvious cliche is like fake it till you make it. And, you know, just call the bank up and read the script, grow but, a pair. Right. Grow a pair. But, um, you know, if you're trying to negotiate with someone and they can tell that you don't even believe what you're saying, mm. they're going to railroad you. And so I guess my question is, you know, obviously you want to get to this confidence yeah. level, but what are like steps one, two and three maybe to get it to work for you? Before you can just kind of be like a remit baller and ask for things. Nicer shirts, I think, right? Okay. <laughs> just wear nicer shirts. Yeah, yeah there you go. Okay, let me, ask, let, let me ask you a question. What is something that you are not confident about in your life? Um, uh, <laughs> my my uh, ability to... I guess uh, <laughs> I'm not confident about how confident I actually am. Isn't that like the best like interview? Okay, I I think in like okay. money and business stuff, I'm I'm rather confident. But you know, when it comes to like my physical ability or health and stuff like that, you know, I, I tend to yeah. put that on the super back burner. Same. Okay, uh, be specific. What exactly? Um, I I don't know that I'm confident that I can get in shape. I think that I'm just not that person. I don't know. Love it. Okay, thank you for being honest. That takes a lot of courage and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I think you're doing a service to everyone listening because I want to show you why I asked that question. I mean, he's got a lot of confidence So to, 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 to say that. Absolutely. Now, what is something you are really confident about? Uh, personal finances, my family's financial situation, my ability to generate okay. money. Like I was the guy who would literally go to my boss and say, you are not paying me enough. I'm going to leave. I would, that, I would just do that. Okay. You know? Love it. So- you look at me and you say like personal finance, negotiation, you know, I'm going to kick a door down and demand more money and they just hand over. And, and let me start by saying what I was not confident about for a long time. And that was just like you fitness, right? I grew up, I was a skinny Indian kid and I used to actually make a joke of it. I'm like, I'm just a skinny Indian guy. And at a certain point you say something enough and it becomes the truth. I, I literally joke about it. that stuff about myself all the time. I mean, Bingo. I resonate with this. Yeah. I, I found that to be probably one of the most self-destructive things that I did, which was using myself as a punchline because I was skinny. And after a while, you actually start to believe it. I started to believe that no matter what I ate, I couldn't gain weight and that I would hear these comments from people and I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew it wasn't good. Like it would be like comments like, man, you're so skinny. Like in that phrase, mm. like, is that good? I don't think it's good. I kind of think that's bad. And, you know, you kind of grow up with this um, unsaid uh, commentary on masculinity. And like a skinny guy does not really represent masculinity, at least in this culture. Uh, and in my culture, where I was raised with immigrant Indian parents, it doesn't really matter, you know, how, like, what's your, uh, what's your BMI and like, what's your, you know, what's your, how much muscle do you have? It's like, what grades did you get and how good are you at the spelling bee? Not surprisingly, I crushed spelling bees. I was super confident there, but I couldn't even lift the bar when we tried to do bench press in seventh grade. So over time, I'll tell you this. I, I started asking my friends like, 
a, I took, had to get the courage up to ask him like, man, like you work out like four times a week. Can you show me what I should do? And that took me like years to get the courage up. Then I moved to New York. I lived across the street from a gym. It took me four months to get the courage up to go across the street and walk in and say, I want a trainer. And by the way, it wasn't a money situation. I had the money. It was that I wasn't confident. Why? Because I was like, if I actually spend money on this and it doesn't work, then I'm really a failure. And like, yeah. what, oh, am I going to turn into Schwarzenegger? Or it proves your own lie. Yes. It proves your own lie, right? Yeah. Like, oh, that's even worse. That I, I was it. lying the whole time. Yeah. So, so I want to just emphasize this to everyone is that every single person you have, it doesn't matter if it's Oprah or it doesn't matter if it's uh, somebody at the opposite end of the spectrum. Everybody has something that they are super confident about. Okay. And that's great. Mm-hmm. I love hearing somebody say, I'm really proud of X. I think that's so rare that someone actually has the courage to acknowledge something they're good at. I'm really proud of what I've done with the I Will Teach You To Be Rich book. I'm so proud of how many people Mm -hmm. I've helped. I'm proud of that. And I'm proud that the new book is coming out. But I was really scared about changing the way my body looked and felt. And I needed a lot of help. And I hired trainers and nutritionists. And I finally learned it over years. So when, when you think about being confident, I just want to emphasize a couple of things. Everybody starts from a different place. Okay. My parents never took us to a gym when I was a kid. Whereas I have, uh, I saw other friends who were getting, they were deadlifting at age 12. I'm like, what? What's a deadlift? Yeah. Okay. So that's number one. They really started early. And number two, let's remember that we often create these stories in our head. There's this concept that I'm going to walk in and kick down a door and ask for money. But if you actually take my negotiation course, you realize that I have a laid out structured plan and it's super, super slow and measured. You do not have to walk in. You don't need to have the personality of a crazy negotiator. You go in there and you do it jointly with your boss and you come to an agreement and I show you exactly what to say. So I think sometimes we caricature what confidence is. Confidence can be super extroverted. It can be going on TV, but it can also be introverted. It can be quiet and it can be, there are different types of confidences. So I would say for everyone, Think about the thing you are confident and reflect that you could imply that to other parts of your life. I mean, if anything, uh, so my girlfriend, Steph, took your uh, advice and course on the negotiation thing. And that's how she's was able to 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 like build herself up even right after college. So right after college, you know, she was making baller money in D.C. from from your help. Amazing. You know? Well, tell her I said congratulations. And like for me, I think she's, I'm sure she's told you before. I think we've, okay. Yeah. What are you, are you comfortable sharing her last name? Steph Halligan. Okay, cool. I love to get, uh, cause I see all these emails that come through my inbox. And like I said, I read them all and I reply to a lot. So I always love to place the name to the face and relationship. So thanks for sharing. We were, we were part of the FinCon. We were part of the FinCon community. So I think whatever, whatever year that you spoke there, she had met you and I'm sure told you. Beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, so it is possible um, and she's very introverted. So it is, it is very uh, possible to not be like Andrew and, and kick down a literal door and <laughs> lay your balls on the table and be like, give me more money, bitch. Yeah. You don't have to do that. That's not in my script. You don't have to do that. Uh, so what, when you're, when you're going like through life, I feel like there are always these like gems that you're chasing after. Like I, I want to make a million dollars or, you know, I want to get mm-hmm. in like good shape or whatever it is. And, um, you, you know, and maybe, maybe it's like, go to the moon, you know, I want to fly to the moon or so Mars, you know, you fly an airplane Mars. Right. and you, you hit your various goals and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then you go to the moon and and I guess, you know, or like in your case, you're, you know, financially secure, you're fit. Uh, what motivates you going forward? You know, like, and I bring this up because I, I kind of worry that goal focused motivation is actually like detrimental because yeah. then when you ch- achieve it, it's like, now what? What next? Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Um, first of all, I just want to say for all the people who don't wake up in the morning and meditate and do a gratitude journal and blah, 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 yeah, drink, your, drink your exotic tea, like come to my Green side, my smoothie, friends. Yeah. I don't do any of that stuff. I wake up and the first thing I do is I get my phone and I go on Instagram for like 40 minutes. Okay. So like I do all, I do it all wrong. While you're pooping. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so it's like, I think that, um, I think that a lot of people believe that they need to wake up and have these hardcore goals that are drilled down from like, what do I want to achieve in life all the way down to some Excel spreadsheet that takes them through every hour of the week. I don't have any of that. Okay. At all. But I will say, I'll tell you a couple of things that I've learned along the way because, you know, I grew up in a large family. Like I said, my mom was a teacher, um, but mostly she stayed home with us. And then my dad worked and like there's four kids And we grew up very, very modestly. Like when we would travel on vacation, it was like driving down to LA to see family and we would pack sandwiches and stop on the way. Mm -hmm. So now having started a business, having helped like millions of people with their money and careers and starting businesses, I've had the opportunity to see another side of the table. And it's funny when we, uh, like now I have a new appreciation for the way I was raised. My parents who came from India they were more on the frugal side, okay? And now I'm like, I'm still frugal Mm. about certain things. For example, I'm talking to you on this computer. This is the laptop I use to run my entire business. It's a MacBook Air. I bought it in 2012, okay? Why do I need a new one? This thing still runs. The fan's (laughs) going crazy right now, but it still runs. So I'm fine with that. On the other hand, there are things I love. When I travel, I travel very well. I like buying nice clothes, Okay. And so there's a few other things that I'm unapologetically happy to spend money on. Now, I also make sure that I have my 20 to 30% being saved every year and invested aggressively, right? So I'm very conservative. And a couple of things I learned along the way. One was, uh, I remember when I hit my sort of like this first number, that's a big number to a lot of people, you know, and for some people it might be um, you're making 100K. For some people, it might be you have a million dollars in the bank. Whatever the number is to you, there's that big number. And I remember it very distinctly because there was a guy who worked for me and he sent me a screenshot with those little sketch graphics. You know, it has like the green arrow. And he goes, dude, look at how much mm-hmm. is in the bank. And he showed it to me. And, and it was like two weeks later than it had already happened. Like he went back through the metrics. And I just went, I looked at it and I was like, Oh, okay. And I just got right back to work. Like the money did not change a single Mm. thing for me because I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't think most people wake up and say like, Oh my God, my Excel spreadsheet, I need to optimize two decimal. Uh, You know, Andrew. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. Well, at least one of us doesn't do that. So, but I will say that thinking about what the money allows you to do has been incredibly powerful. So here's a couple things I learned. Um, so many of us think that, uh, like if they go like this, this is so funny. They'll, they'll say, if I had a million dollars, I would never fly business class. Never. And I just think to myself, how do you know what you would do? Yeah. Right. 
The, the best thing you could do instead of disparaging what other people do with their money is to actually make some friends who have a million dollars or whatever your goal is and ask them what they do with their money. And you'd be surprised. A lot of people will tell you. And suddenly you realize that there's a completely different calculus to your decisions when your financial situation changes. So many of us believe, just like when we were four years old and we thought boys or girls have cooties and then mm -hmm. you grow up, so many of us behave the same way with our finances. We think, I'm going to act the same way at 42 as at 22. I'm going to act the same way when I have quadruple the revenue or income as I do today. And that's just not true. I would rather yeah. have people get honest and open their eyes and realize you probably will want to spend on certain things you can't even conceive of today. What might those things be? So I actually created a course called Advanced Personal Finance. And this was, I want to just share this concept of money dials with people. There are a bunch of people in my uh, community who have made a ton of money, right? They followed the book. They, they have like six figures or multiple six figures or seven figures. And they're like, what's next? Like I've done, I've optimized, I invest, I have target date funds. What's next? So the first half of the course is about some advanced investment options, additional ways to optimize taxes, how I set up my advanced uh, financial infrastructure with a personal CFO and all this stuff. But I personally think the last part is way more interesting. And that was where I introduced this concept of money dials. So let me ask you guys, what is one thing besides beer that you love to spend extravagantly on? Um, technology? Eating out. Oh, wait, eating out? Yeah, technology. And, yeah. and honestly, like I'm a home brewer too. So like beer, anything beer, no spare, no expense. Love it. Okay, awesome. Spare, no expense. Wow, I love that. Okay, so... We did a bunch of research with, uh, with, like, um, with millionaires, and we identified 10 money dials. A money dial is something that if you just look at your own spending from the last month, it's something that you love spending on, and it gives you joy. And the reason we call it a money dial is what I wanted to show people is imagine what would happen if you turn that dial on homebrewing from, let's say you're at a 5 out of 10 right now, to a 10 out of 10. Let's say you had an entire house dedicated to homebrewing. Let's say you had a staff. Let's say you had like the, the craziest, rarest hops on earth. What would that feel? Look at that. I can see it on your face right now. Look uh, at that. It's, I'm going to do it one day. You're it's jumping for happen. joy. So for me, my money dial, there's 10 money dials. We talk about them in the course and you can just search money dials remit and you can find them. There's some obvious ones. There's travel is a money dial. Mm -hmm. And a lot yeah. of people, they like to travel. My point to them is what if you actually Instead of traveling a little bit, you could travel for a month every year, or you could travel at five-star hotels, or you could travel whatever. My money dial is convenience. I love convenience. I just love it. I have an assistant. I have a trainer. My calendar is like perfect. I take pride in it. That's my. It's a bit mm. weird. It's one of the weird ones, but that's mine. There's relationships. There's so many. My, my point to the advanced folks who went through this, and I, I share it because everyone can use this concept, is... Once you identify what your money dial is, you can spend extravagantly and unapologetically on it. You don't have to apologize to anybody. Mm. It's your money dial. You decide. But it also gives you some information as to where you probably don't need to be spending your money on. And people yeah. love this idea that they can go from where they are on travel, relationships, uh, physical goods like electronics. And what would happen if you actually turned that up? That joy that I just saw on your face, everyone gets that joy when they realize, oh my God, I can actually right. go more on this. And that's the life that I will teach. It's a life of more instead of a life of less. And you talk about, do you talk about the money dial concept in the new edition of the book? 
yeah, I talk about where to spend money and how and the psychology of spending extravagantly. As long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. And that is yeah. uh, that's a very novel concept to people because for for the most part, people have been told their whole life, no, no, no. No lattes, no jeans, no vacations, no nothing. Just hermetically seal yourself yeah. in a cave and maybe one day you can be happy. <laughs> what a sad life. Yeah. And and when is this new book coming out? I May. Wanna, uh, May what? Do you have a date or no? It's just May. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for my publisher. It's mid. Okay. Here's what you need to know. Okay. It's the second edition of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Yep. You can get it right now on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can pre-order it. Save your receipt because I'm going to announce it on Twitter and Instagram. I'm going to do some really cool stuff for people who pre-order. And mm. I'm going on tour in May. So stay tuned. I would love to meet everybody in lots of different cities. Are you coming to Denver? I am going to check on that, but I'm going to try to make it a <laughs> point a to come no. to Denver. I came there last time and I loved it. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, Ramit Sethi. See, I, I, I've gained more confidence as the interview went on to say your name correctly. So, uh, dude, thank you for coming on, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. And good luck with the new edition of the book. Obviously, your business is doing super well, and you have the advanced personal finance course that people can pick up and obviously pre-order the book. I am going to pre-order it. I've, I own the first one. I will, I'm going to read the second one. I may not even have to, but because it was such a life-changing book for me, I feel like... Uh, I just need to read the words and, and maybe I, I, I may need a refresher. You know what I mean? There might be some new things in there that you point out that maybe I'm not doing or, you know, should be doing. So I, I appreciate everything you've done, man. I really do. Thank you guys both. You guys have been, you, this has been a lot of fun. I got to say, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited for you to see the new book. You're going to see a lot of new stuff in there that you've never seen before. And if you think this is fun, maybe you should start your own podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> now you put me on the spot. Okay. I, I, uh, it's what I, yeah. You guys are good. I got to come back to you with some questions about my own podcast because I don't have the confidence at that. And so hearing you guys and watching how smooth you are, uh, it's inspiring me. So I might just come back and ask for your advice then. It's easy. It's just the uh, beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lubricant that That's just right. works. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, as an, I'm an audio engineer by trade. So like, if you, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to help. But uh, again, thank you for coming on, man. Really appreciate My it. My pleasure. Uh, if you missed anything, cause there was a lot that we covered here, we'll have everything in the show notes. Don't you worry about that. You can either check your preferred podcast app or you can visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show and please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Maybe that's uh, Spotify now. Who knows? Is it, is it, is it Apple? Is it? What other ones? Pl Player FM, all the different, whatever, Overcast, whatever. Uh, please subscribe wherever you normally listen and tell your friends about us. Point them to your favorite episodes. Perhaps it's an episode with Ramit, and hopefully they'll become a subscriber too. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss on future episodes of this show, email us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. All the tools and resources that we normally mention on this show are available at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox except for Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Uh, <laughs> so that's it. Again, thank you, Ramit. Um, really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Cool. Later, Andrew. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>